0: yourself as you listen to this. And welcome to the show that wants to extend a job offer to the two people at the Oscars who got fired for their blunder with the best picture award. Um I can't pay you um anything, but what I can say is you can come with us on our annual black and white podcast retreat. Oh, Trent, my bad. I you weren't supposed to be here for that. Um I'd like to welcome you to another episode of It's a Black and White Thing. I am your host, Carlos Johnson. I go by A1. You can also call me Dan. Um, you can listen to each and every episode of It's a Black and White Thing at iTunes. If you go and search It's a Black and White Thing on iTunes, you can go to SoundCloud.com, SoundCloud.com backslash Brains and Bars. You can follow us on Twitter, Snapchat, and Facebook by searching, going to those sites and searching Brains at Brains and Bars. You'll find us all there. Follow us there. Um, you can also find us at AmpedEntertainment.net if you, for whatever reason, just want to get on your computer and listen to the show. If you have an Android device, you can go to your favorite podcast site. We should It should be pulling from the iTunes feed. Search for It's a Black and White Thing there, and you can check us out there. Um, as always, we're here at the Clear Air Studios, um, a.k.a. the MMP Studios, with the homie Trent holding us down. And also, I host or I am a part of a radio show every Wednesday, Saturday night, six forty-five to seven fifteen p.m., ninety-five point three FM in Kansas City, KCPZ. If you go to your Google Play or iTunes Store, or yeah, iTunes Store, and search for uh, Praise ninety-five point three FM, you can listen to me there every Wednesday and Saturday evening, six forty-five to seven fifteen p.m., seven fifteen p.m. I'm normally joined by the homie A. Ward, but he is on his Holly Ward. He's too busy. He's out here speaking at churches. He's whining and donning his girl, the homie Cannon, who was on a new episode that just uh, premiered today. Um, The homie Cannon was on the show uh, for Stick to Sports 1.5. He's out with them tonight. So uh, no A. Ward, but I do have a special guest sitting uh, and holding it it down for me tonight. But you can go to IamAward.com to check out all his battles um, other videos, all content that is A-Ward related. Also, I think the video for his um, being a part of Blackout 7 is there. So go check that out. But shout out to the homie A-Ward in his absence. Um, so I'm going to introduce a special guest. Trent, I think you wanted to say something. Before I introduce a special guest, you had something to say about the, uh, the opening there.
1: Um, yeah, I did have something to say. Uh, I did want to let you know that uh, I hate your face. Uh, just in the uh, invite to um, be a part of the trip. Well, and, see, here's, and,
0: a, here's the thing about that, right? I mean, they just were, you know, it was their fault, but they were humiliated in front of the world. And so I figured right, they could use right. some fun in the sun. You know, I figured they could use a vacation.
1: And and also, um, I, for, I didn't know that they got fired. Um, I kind of saw it coming. But that was news to me, so congratulations on being my TMZ for the day.
0: Yeah, like I don't get I don't get why they fired the lady. The lady was not at fault. It was the guy who was at fault. He had a picture on Twitter of him tweeting out Emma Stone with her best uh actress, uh, Oscar, as Warren Beatty is walking onto the stage so with oh, the envelope. So
1: he was stunting yeah, and he that's was stunned. Jack, that, that's he was
0: stunned. He was stunned.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Like he had so been stunting.
1: So stunting so crosses all. It crosses
0: uh, all. It crosses all racial and ethnic bounds. It come knows on now. It knows no 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 come limit. Come on now. You know he say was, that preach it. You know come so on now. yeah he was out there tweeting and taking pictures all night and he did not get so the if you haven't heard by now obviously you heard about the best picture uh, snafu if you will. The reason that the envelope ended out there, they have two envelopes per category, one on each side of the stage, so no matter which side the presenter comes out on, they can have the card ready to go. He, I guess, handed Warren that one did not. He forgot to say, oh, that one's done, and hand him the best picture uh, category, and, yeah, and the rest is history, as they say. Although, I guess that guy's a partner, so he got fired from doing that. So I don't know if they've lost their job completely, but in terms of that guy, like, he's like a partner, and so he just won't be able to walk the red carpet anymore or to hand out the the envelopes. Right,
1: yeah, right. So because he lost
0: basically, like, in kindergarten parlance, he lost his uh, graham cracker uh, privileges. You know, he used to break the graham crackers, and then if you so, sucked at it, you couldn't do it no more.
1: So him and Jim Buss are probably in the same
0: boat right there. Got fired on their day off.
1: Got fired on their day, day off. Got fired on their day off. But from something they own.
0: From something, <laughs> From something they own. From something they own. <laughs> That's They're all. very true. Very true. But uh, be that as it may, I digress. Uh, I want to get to introducing our special guest. So we started this uh, interview series called Stick to Sports, uh, where we talk to someone outside of the sports world. Doesn't mean we won't talk about sports at all, but their profession, general profession or what they do has nothing to do with sports, at least in working in it or being an athlete or what so have you. So. Um, you're going to be talking to various people across various industries, and I got um, an old homie, an old friend who I've known since the fifth grade um, who owes me, you know, a Black Panther uh, comic book card, among amongst other things. Uh, I got the homie Chez the barber in the building um, holding it down tonight. What's up with you, man?
2: What's good with you? What's good with you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Like, I'm
0: still waiting. Like, I'm still waiting on my Black Panther. You know, hey, it's, man, look, it's been, look. let's see, let's see. This is, it's been 25 years. This is the golden anniversary. Hey, it's the look, golden anniversary. Look,
2: man. Look, look how good God is, man. <laughs> the Black Panther movie is coming out, bro. So, you got something to look forward to, man, all these years.
0: It's just like black people to invoke God to try to get them out of their <laughs> wrongdoing They want to start invoking the name of Won't the Lord. Won't he do it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what's up. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about his profession, his decision to make that move because I, ho- I hope for this year while we kind of go through, you know, we talk about sports and we have fun talking about sports and talking about it, hopefully in a unique way that you guys like. And shout out to y'all who are listening. The listenership is increasing a little bit, so I appreciate that. Um, but I also want to try to inspire you guys at the same time who, you know, like myself, I started this show in part because I love sports. I love talking about sports. As a kid, I wanted a career in sports, but for because of my own uh, laziness and fears, did not pursue that. And so I do this now out of, because of that love, right? And so hopefully you guys are listening to this interview series and you'll hear something, you'll be inspired. My um, first guest, uh, Jason Arthur, talked about his teacher. He was not into English like that, but his teacher inspired him to pursue a field in the arts. And he is a professor at Rutgers University now. Written one book, working on a second book. Um, so, you know, shouts out to him for coming on the show. So hopefully this series inspires you to, uh, to pursue some dreams and chase some goals that maybe you didn't think were possible or that you just put down on the back burner. So, But as always, one thing we're all going to do, still same format, even though we're doing the interview series, uh, what I learned. So starting off with what I learned, I learned a lot over the last week. Uh, some of it was old news that I just forgot to talk about. Some of it really, I really did learn in the last week. So I want to start off. Uh, with the Oscars, since we started out with that. So, if again, La La Land was the best picture winner for all of two minutes, two minutes, if you will, uh, before they got the award snatched from them and given to Moonlight. Um, if I, what I learned, if I would have been on that cast of La La Land, I would have gotten, now I don't drink, right? Like, I'm, I, I don't like the taste of alcohol. I actually, well, it's not completely true. If you count Angry Orchard as a drink, then I drink, right? I mean that that's about as as hard as I go on on the liquor. But if I had been on the cast of La La Land, I would have gotten black out drunk that night going to these parties because I'd have been so heated that I would have lost this award that this is like this is a career winning best picture, best actress or supporting actor or actress is like a career defining and career changing event for the people in these lives so especially for the directors the producer you become like the it person for the next year it could be the rest of your life and so to be on stage you're accepting this award you're talking about how we want to change the world how all this inspiration and you're thanking your mom you're thanking god you're thanking everybody and all of a sudden you see a little bald head dude running behind you going no, no 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 and then all of a sudden, they hand you the card and it says Moonlight won. Like, like I just would have, like I said, I just would have been drunk. Like, Emma Stone had a great night because she won Best Actress. But for the rest of them who won nothing, yeah, yeah, I would, I would have been gone. Like, I would have been blasted, hammered, slizzard, whatever you want to call it. I would have been done. Um, I would not have remembered. It would have been like, um, what's the movie where they end up in Vegas and can't remember what happened? Um, hangover. Hangover. It would have been that. I would have woken, I would have woken up with Mike Tyson and a tiger in my hotel room, like, what are you doing here? Uh, because I just would have been so disappointed. So, yeah. So, that's that's one of the things I learned. Um, second thing I learned. So, Daytona 500 happened this weekend. Yes, the black guy is talking about NASCAR, right? Because I, I am from the South originally. So, I grew up on NASCAR as well. Not Pine Bluff. I'm from Jonesboro. Jonesboro. <laughs> Although, Jonesboro, I think Pine Bluff. No, it's in Pine Bluff. I'm taking take that back. There's a Jonesboro, Arkansas. But, um so i'm you know i'm getting ready to go out to get out with my wife i'm getting dressed i'm watching the nascar race and i see they have these uh these these stages now so they have um at the 60 mile mark is the end of the first stage the 120 mile mark is the end of the second stage and then the 200 mile mark is the end of the third stage and they have some convoluted point system and i'm like who let the nerds into nascar like this is not the tour de france like I don't need a, a, a stage one winner, a stage two winner and a stage three. I need one winner. after 200 miles of, of 200, yeah, 200 miles away racing on a mile and a half track, which I think equals out to 500, which is where you get the Daytona 500 from. I need to have one winner. Um, I was highly disappointed. they're going to do this all season. I don't need it. This is America, okay? NASCAR. Y'all should know this more than anybody. Y'all from the South. This is America. I don't need America. the Tour de France. I don't need y'all racing down the Champs, de LAZs, and all that stuff. No, 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 no. Give me one winner. That's all I need. That's all I need. And that is my rant from the black guy on NASCAR. I will watch NASCAR. Well, I will watch NASCAR again. I will hate watch it just so I can be angry that they're racing in stages. Second that's, thing that's, I learned.
2: That's the, pro, that's the problem with too many of these things, man. Everybody getting a participation award nowadays. You know what I mean? Nah, I'm going to stop. I'm gonna hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. So
0: yeah. that's that's basically what you just said. It, yeah, it is kind of a participation. But, it, but here's the thing. So the point system counts towards actual, like it counts towards. So they have this championship, right? NASCAR has a point system. So, normally, if you finish in top, it's like weighted, right? You finish number one, you get the most points, and it kind of goes from there. Well, with this system, like, if you finish in the top ten, then you get X amount of points, and it helps helps you contend for the race for the championship or the playoff that they have at the end of the season, which I think is, like, the last 12 races of the year. But, the heck, they might have changed that, too. And so, like, you just – I know some of the racers were upset because they felt like it caused – Um, wrecks, more wrecks because racers are being more aggressive than they normally would be because they're trying to finish in the top 10 and get these points. All I know is I didn't like it. Like I just didn't need it. Um, It just was unnecessary. You have a, in my opinion, a good product, but a product that is not appealing to the rest of America. It appeals to the South. It's a regional sport, but even in the South, the ratings are declining. All I'm saying is I don't need the Tour de France. Like All I need is 200 miles, 250 miles, just give me a conclusion. Like I don't need y'all to have these restarts because it just kind of throws the rhythm out of the race. Like you're watching this race and then it stops and then they they stop driving for like ten minutes. And I just didn't. It was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. So anyway, uh, this is next thing I learned is an over is a leftover uh Grammys. note. I didn't get a chance to talk about the Grammys. Uh, I think we were supposed to have a show, but we were kind of too busy to do it. And so Chance the Rapper, right? Chance the Rapper is a a big name in the industry, independent guy. Um, His coloring book joint, I mean, sold a lot of records. It also got him the Rap Album of the Year at the Grammys. He performs with Kirk Franklin, which did we ever find out if Kirk Franklin was wearing a dress? It
2: was a dress, bro.
1: It was a, it was a very long short. You gotta realize Kirk Franklin is two foot seven. So it was so it a shirt
0: wrapped around his waist?
1: No, it, I think oh. it was a long it was a long shirt. Then it, it's a dress, bro. It was just supposed to be a shirt. It's supposed nah, 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 to be a Euro nah.
2: style or something, bro. Like
1: N- Yeah. Uh but uh but no, that's that was just a shirt. I mean, he was just he just short. He trying to be stylish, and he had leggings on though.
0: But it, it but was see, it
1: was a, it was probably a tall tee on a regular person.
0: See, see, but if my wife does that, I call that a dress, and it had flaps on the side. Yeah, nah, nah. Kirk out here tripping. You can he may
2: stomp. Hold right, on, come on, and then hold on. Let me say this: out of the whole outfit that he had on, why was that the one piece of article? That was the most flamboyant that he had on. Everything else was black and white he had on. But the 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 skirt s- slash dress he, okay, so
1: was he had, flaming fire engine red. Okay, so so maybe he had on a sundress, but
2: it's supposed to be a shirt. I'm just gonna tell you what it was and y'all just didn't see it. Okay. Cause I could I could look, I've seen this enough. Uh-huh. It was a halter top dress. That was covered up <laughs> by a vest and multi layers of clothes. Oh, so all we saw was the bottom, but it was a halter top,
1: bro. Okay, uh, you know what? I I can't. I don't have any proof to deny this.
0: These, I mean, it looked like a dress. I don't bro. have any it proof looked to like deny. A dress. These like, and I and I didn't
1: allegations.
0: I didn't watch the Grammys live. Like I recorded it and I watched that particular piece on my phone, and I just kept looking. Like is Kirkland? Like what are you doing? Like what you doing? Like again, like hey, hey, hey. This isn't hate. Like I'm not here to be. I know we're in this society where androgynous, androgyny is in where you can, you know, you you can wear women's clothing and you can wear men's clothing. All I'm saying is for me, for me I need when I go shopping, I'm shopping in the men's section. Like that's for me. If you go shopping in the women's section as a man, you do you. You be cool how you be cool, right? But as for me, I'm going shopping in the men's section and I and I don't see them kind of clothes in in the men's section, like I just I don't know. But be that as it may. Shout out to Kirk. Again, he gave a stomp,
2: you know. He, you know what? But, he... but hold on. But then that, that brings the question what is the definition of a skirt or a dress? Because in other cultures, if you want to bring that in, uh, hey, the Irish, they wear kilts, man.
0: I mean, I understand that. I understand that. But Kirk is black. Um, Kirk is a part of black culture.
2: Maybe he was feeling real kiltish
0: that day. Maybe, maybe. I mean, look. You know what though? I wouldn't rock it. But when Kanye had on the kilt uh, during the Watcher Throne tour, I thought it was kind of dope. Like he had on the all black with the kilt. Like I thought it was dope. It's not for me. Like had Kirk had on an actual kilt, I probably would have been like, okay, I can rock with that. But it looked like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like it was, it wasn't even all over
2: the runway with that.
0: (laughs) It was short on the front and long in the back, and I'm like, what am I looking at? So. So anyway, again, Kirk, you gave us stomp, you gave you given us um the reason why I sing, you given us melodies from heaven. Like we can never take that away from you. Your impact in the gospel industry can never be taken away from you. All I'm saying is what you doing, bruh? That's all I'm asking. But anyway. So anyway, chance the rappers out there doing this thing with Kirk and um Tamla man. They're out there doing their thing, um singing uh I forget the name of the song. It was a couple of di- Oh, you don't want to was it you don't want a problems? Yeah. He did You Don't Want No Problems. He did Blessings. No, he did How Great Is Our God is how how he started. Um, He did did a quick little hint at um, You Don't Want No Problems. Then he went Blessings Keep Falling. Blessings keep falling in my lap. He did that joint. Um, And he's getting a lot of love um, from Christians. Um, And for me, like, I can't rock. And it's not. So I, I don't rock with Chance for on a couple of levels. One, I just don't like his music. It's not a knock. Like, I appreciate his story. I appreciate his striving to stay independent and the lane that he's made for himself um, to, to get to this level of fame where he's gotten. Like, I admire all of that. His hustle, his grind, all of that. I'm just not a fan of the music. Like, I listen to it, and I'm just like, it's all right. Like, it's all right. I mean, you don't want no problems. Is the joint. I really like that joint. Um, the flip side, of the other level, that as a Christian, right, so we, all of us in this room have done Christian hip-hop. At one point of our lives, when we were in our early to mid-20s, um, we are all officially retired, right? And so for us, we have known Christian hip-hop to be this thing where it is about an explicitly Christian worldview. And so Chance is bringing us, I equated it, so if you don't live in Kansas City, you won't understand this. I equate it to, there's a, there's a former Christian hip-hop rapper named Solo, right? And when Solo came out, Solo came from the streets, Solo found God and Solo started rapping, like all at the same time. And so, this was a dude who was struggling with his walk in terms of, I'm trying, like, you were seeing him live and in action. You've seen this with Chance and how he talks about how he was hooked on Zans and all these drugs and whatever. And, and, and he talks about how God freed him from that. And you hear that in his music, right? You hear that, these explicit biblical references and him explicitly praising God. And yet, he, there's another song he talks about. Um, all night I've been drinking, all night I've been drinking. Right, you like you hear him talking about this in the same song. And so it's like it gives people kind of the best of both worlds, if you will, right? Because a lot of people are spiritual in one form of another, and Christianity is still it's losing its edge, I think, to Islam, but it's still the most, it's the when you ask people what religion are you, more people check the Christianity check. No, Catholicism might still be number one and Christianity might be number two. It's close. But a lot of people are checking checking Christianity on that box, right? And so, like, chance kind of gives people this: okay, I can get like I can get a little bit of God, I can get a little bit of Ratchet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just the new the new trend, right? Because yep. like like there was a there was a time probably like in the '90s where you go through a whole R and B album and then they put that one gospel song at the end of the album. You know what I'm saying? And that was like the trend. They was talking because they were spiritual and they wanted to get a praise up to God. Right, but right. But they still going to get this money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they still about to get this, this money, money. This right. money. Right? And so I don't think that changes. So I just think that because music changes, right? And so now, you know, the the <laughs> primary tool is hip hop and, you know, rap and stuff like that. These people still are here, but now they're changing a they form. Like, there's a lot of... Spiritual rap going on right now, right? I mean like,
2: Kendrick, but you like
1: Kendrick. Hold Kendrick. on, but this is but, my but, thing. But 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 we but we rocking with Kendrick and we rocking with Chance, but we giving La a business.
0: So I'm gonna get to that in just we second. We giving La
1: business. I'm gonna get we, to that by just the way. By just all way. The I, time, did, I did just hear. First of all, I I literally just heard. That new Lecrae joint yep. on Primetime One on Three, like for the first time—that's the first time I ever heard any. Uh, you talking about the Blessings joint? The Blessings joint, and, and maybe because it got tie dollar signs in it, but I was like, that's a good—that's still a good look. But you know what? I digress. I'm, I'm a silent producer. My bad.
0: No, but I mean, so I'm gonna get to that in just a second. But I've seen people say that people like Kendrick and and Big Sean are Christian rappers. Like I've seen this discussion happen between people about discussing them as just as much as a Christian rapper as a Lecrae. And so it's interesting that you bring that name up because me and Chaz have this conversation all the time in a barbershop about Lecrae. And I do find it interesting that musically you have Chance, who is kind of coming out of the closet, quote unquote, if you will. He's being unashamedly Christian and using biblical references and Having how great is our God on the songs, talking about blessings keep falling in my lap, which I guess isn't you understand the connotation he means. But by him saying how, you know, how great is our God on this song, you know, at the Grammys talking about, you know, y'all better praise Jesus. Right. And you have Lecrae on the other hand. And at some point, we're going to have LaVar on the show to talk about this because he talks about this a lot more intelligently than I do. But he. Lecrae is kind of going, Lecrae, if you don't know who this is, he used to be, a he well, used to be, he is a rapper. Say, say what it is, please, <laughs> Lowe, please say what it is. He's a, he, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he is a Christian rapper who has tried to separate the Christian from the rapper part in that he tries to rap from a worldview that you can, that people still acknowledge as Christian but is not explicit. And so it's kind of interesting to me that you have chance getting all this love for him being unashamedly wow Christian if you will and if you listen to that new single from Lecrae like it doesn't sound it sound it's Christian that that is titled blessings and he's saying he's thanks god but it's just it's in a generic way like you don't have Lecrae saying, I don't think he says Jesus on the song. But any you're
2: right, but that's that's the thing. Anybody can come out with a song that says blessing, and you can be a a, a, a Muslim, a, a Catholic, or whatever. That just because you say you 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 got blessings falling in your lap and all this other stuff, that doesn't explicitly say I'm a Christian. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, I'm right there with bro, you. Bro, Like, no, they they look. We come from an era of hip-hop where when we did quote-unquote CHH Christian hip-hop, we distinctly, you knew where we stood. I'm talking about Jesus, yeah. You knew where we stood. Even in the tracks where we didn't holler Jesus, 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 Jesus down your throat, you knew where we stood in all of our tracks. You knew what we was promoting. The lines wasn't blurred. like You know what I mean? You knew. But more and more, like I heard you say earlier that uh the edge of Christianity is losing its uh what's what's the word I'm looking for It's losing its substance, yeah, the substance isn't there the the, the substance isn't there for for an artist that is a believer like it's not it's not where it was it's i don't I don't see it going back there because of because it, it, with where hip hop is, it seems that people are so trying so hard to cross genres. Uh, uh, as far as from a worldly perspective, so many Christian artists are trying to go over in to be able to play in the the big boy arenas. So now, instead of just being Christian artists or Christian rappers and things of that nature, now we're conscious. Yeah. Then you go from conscious to I'm just a rapper who's a Christian. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's it's almost like it's almost like in uh uh in Christmas if you have a blended family and some of the family come from different nationalities and different beliefs and don't necessarily believe in Christ and so what do they say? Xmas. So it's like so now you trying to take the very thing that brought you into the game as a Christian, Jesus brought you into this to do this, and now you're trying to X him out of that? You know what I mean? Come on, man. Like- you are
1: now tuned into the Music Microwave Podcast, MMP. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hilarious. <laughs> uh, but I digress.
1: But you know what? Uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to be quiet and eat my sandwich. Uh, but the reason, I think the reason that, we, that some people can feel like that is because the standard of what Christian hip-hop is, kind of changed, mm. right? There so, is no standard. So, no, no, no. Back so, let's go back before before even cross movement. Like there were some people doing like Christian hip hop and, and and they were still saying Jesus, but it wasn't as theologically centered and as dogmatic as it was till Christian hip hop till like cross movement came. Right. And right. then La- Ambassador and the Truth and LeCrae, those guys went so hard and were so dogmatic in their theological framework, in their theological language, You that said theological, by the way. Huh?
0: You said theological, but continue. Uh,
1: theological, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm being chunky over here trying to eat a sandwich. But in their theological framework, that when you turn away from that, you got so many people on your side because of that, The to deviate from that, that's why, I think that's why the... The backlash can be what it is, but that's what you created. That though, like you yeah. created, you created your own your own haters. You created your own yep. backlash. Yep. And your own demise.
0: Yep. I mean, and first of all, I don't shout out to Lecrae. You know, I'm I'm happy for the success. And like me and Ches, we like I said, we have this conversation because they play. He go. He works in a Christian environment where they play Christian rap and so we have this conversations about these things all the time because that music is always playing. But I mean it's I understand the moves that Lecrae made and I think from a business perspective for growth he had to do what he had to do. Um I mean from from a not from a spiritual standpoint from a business standpoint he had he had reached a ceiling. He had reached a ceiling and in order to get into some of the those arena big boy arenas you talked about there had to be a less dogmatic approach from his part to get to where he is, to where he's doing songs with Ty Dolla Sign, to where he's doing, you know, he's on Sway in the Morning. He just posted a Sway in the Morning joint. You know, so I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's an interesting discussion. We, can, we, we are going to have a discussion around this. We talked about having a Christian hip-hop roundtable because a lot of our friends are Christian, have worked in that industry, still are in that industry. So we talked about having a round table some point at some point to when talk you about this. We do make sure you invite me back,
2: please. <laughs> so please. we're
0: going to do this at some point. Maybe there'll be a, a joint MMP, you know, uh black and white thing production, but we're going to talk about this. But like I said, I I I like Chance the Rapper's story. I don't get the love because in part, not from the Christian standpoint, in part I just don't rock with the music. Like I just don't think the music is very I good. Like I love his verse on um Ultra Light beam, no. Like, again, and that's what really got him in the, in the limelight was that verse on Ultralight beam. Um, so I, I enjoy his story. I enjoy his grind, his the lane he's in, the lane he's created. I'm just not a fan of the music. So I just don't get it. Anyway, last thing I learned before we get into the interview with Chez the barber. Uh, so as you guys, if you listen to this show any length of time, you know I am an NBA dude. I'm an NBA fan. I, I rock with the NBA over the NFL. I find it to be more entertaining. I find the product top to bottom, meaning from the best to the worst teams, to be better than the NFL. It's not a knock against the NFL. I enjoy the NFL. I don't like the leadership of the NFL. There's a difference there. Um, and so I love it. And so, But over this past week, man, I need to know when y'all start getting so sensitive. Like, when did y'all start rocking with Meek Mill out in these streets? And all of a sudden, I'm not trying to go there completely on a Meek Mill tip. But y'all had to be hanging with Meek Mill to be out here sending these emails and snitching and doing all this talking and stuff.
2: And you so talking about the
0: NBA? I'm talking about the NBA. So they
2: been me... doing that. The, the, the face of the NBA whines and cries. Man, and I'm, on, not, not, I'm not about to have this LeBron, argument with you. LeBron, not about to have this the argument face with you. of the NBA, as we know it, now know it, whines, cries, get people suspended on their day off. Man.
0: First of Come all, on, bro. First of all, Draymond was on double secret probation and should have known better. Like he's got it; he had to have known better. He brought that on himself with what he had did. But, but this, the,
2: this is the deal. With that suspension, they could have invoked the the consequences of that at a later date and time. They nope. specifically, nope. yes, they could have. They could and have already
0: done that. They'd already done that with Draymond in the Western Conference Finals when the second time he kicked Stephen Adams in his, you know, man region that already invoked that rule. They basically let him slide that second time. He should have been suspended after he did that. Because he, he. I think in that same series, he almost kicked somebody in the face. I think it might have been Durant. He hit Durant in the shoulder in that same series. <sighs> they had already let him slide enough. Enough was enough. He he knew this, LeBron
2: too. got mad. He called the commissioner. Oh I, want him. oh, I want something done. I want something done. You guys need to take action. Suspend him. Come on, First of all, bro. I mean, whining when LeBron is been gone, doing this. You're, this going ain't to, new?
0: you're going to miss that dude when he's gone. I just want to let you no, know No, I will not. Anyway, so Mark LeBron. Cuban, uh, Bleacher Report. Um, Bleacher Report, they are a part of the Turner Sports family. They post, they do the, uh, I don't know if it's called Dame of Thrones, but they do like the NBA Game of Thrones thing. If you've ever seen that on Twitter, it's hilarious. It's funny. They do all these little funny spoof things. And they posted a picture of Dirk Nowitzki sh- taking a shot, and he airballed it. And the caption said "Dirk forever," right with the airball. It was funny. It was, I mean, it, I mean, it was Bleach Report doing what they do, right? Mark Cuban um, did not find it funny, and so Mark Cuban decided to send a letter to Bleach, to Turner Sports, to the head of Turner Sports, and decided to tell them to take it down. Um, if he did not take it down, he said he promised that he was going to respond um, in a way – he was going to respond like in a Twitter war. And he he posted – that's why I said he's on his Meek Mill. He posted the conversation between himself and the head of Turner Sports. Um, and I'm just like, what are you doing, bro? Like, it's a joke. Like, these are jokes. Like, Dirk is a great player. and he go, And he went on the radio and said, well, if Dirk had – uh or Bleach Report had, you know, said, you know, Dirk is great, but this was a this was a misstep on his part, or Dirk missed the mark, or something, something else other than what they did, then they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have responded so harshly. And I'm like, yo, you wilding? Like, this is jokes, bro. It's jokes. And so Turner succumbed and they um they took off that they, they deleted the tweet. And I'm just like, one, it sets a dangerous precedent because the the NBA and these the owners and and the entertainment providers, TNT, ESPN, Bleacher Report, they're partners. So one, just how far can an owner go? Like, let's just say Bleacher Report puts up a video of Dirt getting crossed up by somebody. Is Mark Cuban going to get upset again? And then say, well, you can't do it. Like, these are jokes, bro. Like, we find entertainment in this. It's an inter- it's entertainment. You know, and it happens from time to time. It's like, I, we had a segment on the show during football season early on called Run Them Pockets where we made fun of people who got humbled like it happens right it happens to all of us it happens in life like there are times when you play spades and you renege and you know it's a, it not happens me. right not me it ha- i mean it happens and you know and sometimes people threaten your life because you renege and you just learning how to play the game of spades right <laughs> like people that happens to you from time to time <sighs> you know you playing you playing uno you got you got the you you slap the car down uno, and then it comes back around and hit you with the draw for bro. It happens in life. You get humble from time to time. Dirk is, one of, uh, is the greatest foreign-born player of all time. He is one of the top 15, top 20 greatest players of all time. He airballed the shot, bro. It is what it is. You got to calm down. But that was only one instance of some um, real delicate behavior being had in the NBA. Second instance, Shaq and JaVale McGee uh Shaq went out here you know Shaq has been doing his Shaq and the Fool now for for years and JaVale McGee has been the star like he's been the um to give an Oscars reference he's been the Meryl Streep of uh of Shaq and the Fool to kind of give you a cross reference there if you, don't, if you don't know who Meryl Streep is I mean shame on you but he has been the star he's been the Brad Pitt who's on the tv screen right now he's been the Denzel he's been the Matt Damon of Shaq and the Fool, to give you a male reference. And so JaVale had enough. JaVel was tired of it, and so he was like, you know, you got, you've been having my, you know, um, man parts in your mouth, and, um, you know, it's enough is enough. Yeah, 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 he went there. Uh, get him out. He, he called him a coon. He's like, you've been cooning enough for this cooning. Shaq threatened to slap him. Uh, JaVel said you ain't going to do nothing that's on my mama when I see you it's going down like it got it got real out in these streets right it got real out in these streets then all of a sudden KD comes back the next day and he starts defending his man then the Warriors again in another bit of delicate behavior they contact Turner and say okay we need to do something about this we can't have and it, they're right right like they're right in the sense of you can't have an analyst threatening players I think Stephen A. Smith did this with Kevin Durant where he was like you don't want it with me and i'm like dude you're like 5 foot nothing like durant could hit you from across the room and you could do nothing about it right but but you know they had this back and forth and then the moms got involved so shaq said shaq said that which i'm not sure i entirely believe he said that the beef was over um and that he was it was over because his mom told him it was over number 1 And here's the thing about Shaq that you have to understand. You can't play with Shaq. Shaq is that friend. Like, if you got a friend who, you know what I'm saying, like, growing up, we used to play, like, open chess or something, right? Or you might slap box, right? And when you slap box, you're not really trying to hurt him. You know, you kind of love taps. But you got that friend. You start doing slap boxing with him. You tap him one good time on the cheek. And all of a sudden, he just, like, open hand, just slap fire from you. Like, bro, what you doing? You play too much, right? This is Shaq. This is Shaq. Shaq is the type of dude you like. Shaq, you sucked at the free throw line. He'd go, yeah, but your mama loved it. And you'd be like, hey, yo, but what, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is Shaq. When he Look at the feuds he's had. He told Kobe, what do he tell Kobe? Tell me how my what tastes? Tell me how my posterior tastes, because this is a family show. Tell me how my posterior tastes. He got into it with uh, with Scottie Pippen. He was Photoshopping Scottie Pippen as a woman, right? Like, I mean, he he is disrespectful to the point where you want to fight him. Um, and JaVelle, mm-hmm. I don't blame JaVale, right? Like, he wants to fight. But then, so to get back to the mamas, JaVelle McGee's mother, Pam McGee, who's a uh, basketball legend in her own right, played with Cheryl Miller back in the day, played in the WNBA. She was contacted to get her thoughts on the situation, and she said, I want Shaq fire." And I'm like, yo, JaVelle, like, I know this is your mom. She, I think she might be your manager still. I know she gave you birth, she gave you life, she carried you for nine months, but you gotta tell your mom to chill. Like your mom she cannot be, your mom cannot be coming out here defending you, talking about I want him fired. Like, no, 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 no. No, it can't be that, right? Like, and there's precedence for this, right? LeBron James, I forget, this is his first time with Cleveland, I forget it might have been with the Wizards or maybe the Celtics. Got into it with some people on the court. We we talking LeBron James and Mamas. Wow. That was mad disrespectful. <laughs> That was mad disrespectful of you. Uh, I'm not even going to go there with that one. But LeBron James, in the game, it got chippy. It was going, there was some back and forth. Gloria stands up and starts yelling. Uh, she was like, had some baseline seats about five rows back. She's yelling at the players on the court. And LeBron turns around to his mom and says, Mama, sit your posterior down, right? He tells, he tells her to sit her butt down. Right, so there's Javale. You have precedent, the best player in the game, the most recognizable face in the game, the player that w- is actually kind of underappreciated when you really think about it in the grand scheme of things. Um, told his mama to sit her butt down. So JaVel, you gotta tell your mama chill. Like the war, you gotta tell the Warriors chill. You gotta tell Kevin Durant. I know y'all mean well, but y'all gotta chill and let me handle this fight with Shaq and stop jumping in because y'all all sound a real mad delicate right now. Um, going to the war, going to Thunder, uh, not Thunder. Going to uh, Turner and telling them y'all got to sit Shaq down, sit Shaq down. You got to handle that yourself, bro. I mean, I not maybe that means you got to fight that man. Maybe you got to show up in Atlanta on the set, ready to throw them hands, just to show him you serious. I don't care how you do it, but you got to tell your mom and them chill out. So that's the other thing that I learned this week. So with that being said, I'm not looking. I mean, I am looking forward to you know college basketball, but that's a wards segment, so I won't step on that in on that in his absence. So without any further ado. Oh no, 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 no! I take that back. I got one last thing, one last thing. Um, so there's four black people that black folk generally aren't having you aren't aren't going to stand you talking bad about. Period. Right? There's four black people. Obama. Hold on, I'm gonna get to that. Um, in in no particular order, right? Tupac. Tupac's the first one. Uh, folks, not gonna stand bad. Not gonna stand for you talking bad about Tupac. You. You want to you want people in your Twitter mentions or in your Facebook mentions get out here and talk about that Tupac was an overrated rapper and that he really wasn't good and that he did not have good music. You're going to have a bunch of people in your mentions ready to fight you, right? Uh, second one's mama. I mean, we are. I mean, granted, we just had this conversation about mamas. You can't really talk about mamas. That's how you want to start a fight. Say something about somebody's mama. The third one is like is a lot like black people's mamas, and that's Michelle Obama. Uh, Michelle Obama is like, um uh, like black America's mama. Like you talked about Obama, um, Obama, not every black person likes Obama, just about every black person likes Michelle Obama. Like George W. Bush in his book was talking about how he much, he liked Michelle Obama and W. I'm with you. I feel you on that. I feel you. I understand W. I am right there with you. You can't talk bad. And so we talked about it on the show about Michelle Obama. There was reports or rumors that maybe she might run in 2020. And I'm like, nah, y'all think the, think the country's divided now? Let these white folks get up here talking bad about Michelle Obama while she's running for president. It's going to be fights in the streets. It's going to be fights in the streets. Folks are going to be getting suspended for work because black folk ain't going to stand you talking bad about Michelle Obama. And the last one, Magic Johnson. uh Magic Johnson. So Magic Johnson just promoted to the head of president, vice president of basketball operations for the Lakers. Yes. And um, oh Dan Lord, Lebertard Lord. got on TV and talked about that Magic cut the line, that he wasn't qualified for the position, which, I mean, he, he has a point. right? And I didn't agree with him. But then, like, black folk, I mean, here I come to save the day. They put on the capes for Magic. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson got on ESPN Radio and basically called Dan LeBretard a racist. Several people, Michael uh, Thompson, the father of Clay Thompson, former Laker, won the championship with Magic, called in to say, yeah, he's a racist. Like, folk, folk were jumping up calling this dude a racist because he said Magic Johnson wasn't qualified. He didn't say Magic Johnson would fail to, to be successful running the Lakers. He just said he wasn't qualified. And so, black folk, here's the thing you got to understand. Folk, There were people who were writing columns about Cam Newton having a baby out of wedlock, right? A lady wrote uh, into the Charlotte Observer a letter disappointed that Cam Newton had a baby out of wedlock and did not make an honest woman out of his baby mama. Magic Johnson got AIDS (laughs) from sleeping with lots and lots of women, right? And I get it's times have changed, right? Like society has changed, and so the backlash from that – he engendered sympathy for adultery, right? Like he cheated on his wife. He engendered sympathy, and he has turned that. He has turned all of that negativity into becoming one of the most successful businessmen around. You can't talk bad about Magic Johnson. One other thing, because I love making diverse um, analogies. Magic Johnson is the Black Donald Trump. Say what now? <laughs> what? Say, I, say, I, what? Say, I, what? I, say what? I paused there just so I can get your reaction.
1: Okay, I mean I just I Magic
0: <laughs> Johnson is the black Donald Trump, and here's what? how he's the black Donald Trump. Uh, I think I think uh, the the system's crashing. <laughs> <Okay>. I'm totally <laughs> lost continue. right now. Here's how he's the black Donald Trump. So a lot of the appeal for Trump as a as president is because why? People, what is the number one thing that people said? why they thought he was qualified to run the country a businessman he was a businessman magic johnson is a dude from the hood in michigan who again has risen from being a charismatic player to one of the most successful businessmen in the country i saw people give um uh, i saw people give magic credit for turning around the dodgers all he did dude I'm telling you, if Magic Johnson is involved in a business deal, it is generally successful. We know more about the successful business dealings of Magic Johnson than we do Donald Trump. But normally, if Donald Trump is in on a deal, most people want to be involved just based off the brand name of Donald Trump. If you have the brand name of Magic Johnson, if you have that personality and that smile, people want to be involved. And that is why he is the black Donald Trump. He gets credit for stuff he had nothing to do with. Yes, Magic was a part of the ownership team that bought the Dodgers. But as last time I checked, Corey Seeger was already there. Clayton Kershaw was already there. Like, yes, they hired Dave Roberts, but Magic Johnson had nothing to do with them hiring Dave Roberts. All these good people attribute all this good success to the Dodgers simply because Magic was on the ownership group. And he didn't do it. He, all he did was show up at, and throw out a first pitch and smile and be Magic Johnson, and and people loved it. Yes, sir. I'm trying to. That analogy is perfect.
1: Like I want to hate... listen. I want to hate it. You like, can't. It's, it's perfect. I want to
0: hate it. Like like from the pit of
1: my stomach. <laughs> but I, I'm, I with just, you. I'm with don't you. Don't think it.
0: So, But But when you think of Trump, though, don't think of President Trump and the rhetoric from his campaign. None of that. Simply think of, from a business Business perspective, when you think of the name Donald Trump from a business perspective, before you knew all this other stuff about him, success is associated with his name. Granted, I'm giving you the caveat. We know more about the success of Magic's business dealings with the movie theaters and with the Starbucks and with all this other stuff that he's done, right? We know about his success more in more detail than Trump, but that hasn't stopped Trump from getting all these other deals because of who he is. Donald Trump is a brand. Magic Johnson is a brand. And people think Magic will be successful simply because he's Magic. Not because he's qualified. It's simply because he's Magic. Wow. He's Magic. <laughs> I do have one question. I do have one question for Laker fans, though. If we get the year five, if we get the year five, and the Lakers are not a championship contender because that's what Laker fans and their organization are used to, who fires Magic? Like, who's going to fire that guy in that they organization? Won't. It's, something to, it's something to consider. It's something to consider. Hey, Jeannie, feeling herself? She said, "Bro, bro, get out." You should. Yeah, but but you this sure is she her- can't say
1: that to Magic.
0: This is her other brother. This is her other brother. This is like her brother from another mother, because they, they talk about each other like they grew up together. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they. I don't know how they fire him if they're not good five years from now. But that's what I learned this week: that Magic Johnson is the Black Donald Trump, and that Black people will not abide by you slandering his good name. Like I just couldn't believe that all. I couldn't believe how pissed off people got at at at, at that dude saying that Magic Johnson was not qualified. But Without further ado, we're going to close out the show. We're going to interview, go ahead and get into this interview with Chez. Um, like I said, he, how long have you been a barber now?
2: Who are we talking about legally? Yes,
0: because we don't want the IRS showing up <laughs> at your house. Um, uh, yeah, so we're legally talking about legally
2: with L's and all license for those who don't know. Uh, I'll probably say roughly going on about four or five years. Four or five years. All right,
0: cool, cool. So I want to start off. So let's let's start prior to your life. What was life for you like, or what did you do prior to your life um, as a barber? Pretty much work,
2: man. Just. But what
0: particular type of work were you doing?
2: Um, at, before I really officially became a barber, um, I was working for the city of Kansas City, Missouri, um, and I kind of bounced around through. Uh, I kind of bounced around through that system for about six years, um, picking up all kinds of skills and trades along the way. Uh, You know, at one point I was driving buses, uh, transportation out at the airport. Then I worked in Parks and Rec Department, uh, things of that nature, man. So I was a city worker, you know. That's that's what I did. That's what's up. So – what made
0: you what made you want to get into the into the profession of barbering?
2: Um for me, uh a lot of it was uh the time the time freedom. Yep. Uh the time freedom of being a barber. Uh you know, because I know I know uh a lot of us that have been in barber shops as kids and stuff like that. You know, the barber's the cool dude, he got a fat stack of money. And all of that. At least so we, that's thats how our mind processes that when right, we see right. it as a kid. It's like, yo, this dude got bank. You know, we not thinking that he got bills. None of that, you know. But for me, it wasn't that. Like, me, like, wanting to get into professional barbering was solely for the time freedom. Being able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And not on anybody's particular schedule but my own. So that's that's kind of what prompted that.
0: So let me now that you've done it for how much of that is uh how much of that is the truth and how much of that is kind of like, you know how how it's one it's one thing to look at something and desire it and it's another thing to be in it? Uh-huh. Like is it is it true that you get all this time freedom that you're kind of your own boss, or how does that is how much of that is truth and how much uh, of that is I wanna say fiction, but but how <laughs> much how much of that you think happened? And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why I say that in just I, a
2: second. I, oh man, time freedom isn't what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because in my head, I you know, yeah, we may not be under the scrutiny of a nine to five, right? But at the same time, I gotta be there when, right. when these clients are gonna be there. Right. You know what I mean? And so I'm still I'm still under that that uh, uh, somewhat of a time restriction, you know, or or yeah. constraints because hey, if a client wants me there, I have to be there in order to make that dollar. Whereas opposed to the flip side of that, if I didn't want to be at my 9 to 5 and want to call in sick, I could do that and still get paid.
0: Right, right.
2: But it don't work like that.
0: You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So. And so and that's why I asked that question because I think, like I said, you kind of have these notions of what you think a barber is and how, how they just set their own schedule. They just kind of I mean, come and but, go. But, and there is some truth to that. Like, I don't want to make it seem like you just kind of chained to the chair from like nine to six, right? Yeah, I don't make yeah, it yeah. seem like that because, you know, you have this these opportunities to go if you're slow at the moment, right? Right. You don't have anybody, you can go do your thing. But I think again that notion that well, I'm just gonna be my own boss, right? And I'm just gonna right. do what I want. Like even right. from that standpoint, right? Unless you own the shop, right? You're you're your own right. boss, but it's not that you really are your own yep. boss, right? Yep. You yep. know, so that's Because, like I for question.
2: example, like today my day consisted of like for some odd reason we were super slow this morning. But at the same time, you know, being being a married guy we got this list of honeydews that they sending us out to do. And my wife been on my head about getting my brakes done. So because I was slow today, I was able to say, all right, I'm going to go take care of that. You know, so we was relatively slow. So I just said, hey, all right, I'm going to take care of these breaks. This, that, and the third, whatever else I got to do. And then came back to the shop, cut some heads, you know. And went about my day. So being able to have that that level of freedom to say, hey, I can stop what I'm doing and go take care of this or go check on my kids at school. And that, for me, that was one of the major things um, why I transitioned from just being a part-time barber to a full-time barber. Because at the time, uh, it's been collectively... About a six-year process of me becoming a full-time becoming a full-time barber, and that's talking about including school, the hours of school I was going through, because that took two years. And in the midst of that, I'm still working a full-time job. Still had three kids at the time, so on any given week, you know, juggling all that together, I'm putting over in a a, a, a hundred-hour week. You know, when you factor in my job. Uh, going to the barbershop, because I, I would get up at 6 in the morning, go to work, stay at my job until 5, leave there, five, or 4.30, leave from my job at 4.30, dash to the barbershop, get there at 5, and then at the time, I was considered the late night barber, so I was the only barber staying in the barbershop until about ten, eleven, sometimes even 12 o'clock at night, and then I would come home, sleep a couple hours, do it all over again the next day. And so that just became very strenuous, and you know, kids kind of, I kind of start seeing the effect on my kids, you know, with me being in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. So, you know, it just kind of, kind of get got that time to where you know, <sighs> that pressure just kind of pipes had to bust eventually, you know. So,
0: so uh, matter of fact, let me give you like a full. Uh, introductions I didn't. We're talking with Chez the Barber of Freeman's Place, uh, barber shop.
2: Others know me as Cheese the Barber.
0: Yeah, or Cheese Chaz the Barber, Cheese the Barber. I know him as Chez. I know a lot of people call you Cheese. We go way back before I knew before you were Cheese, you were Chez <laughs> to me. So he's right. always gonna be Chez. I may if I call him Cheese is because I've just maybe have had a brain fart. But Big Cheese the Barber, uh of Freeman's Place. Uh what's the address if people wanted to uh
2: five four six East ninety nine.
0: And all of the barbers there are by appointment only. Or uh, you uh, accept no, walk ins, no, no. right? Yeah,
2: yeah, we accept walk-ins.
0: But but you prefer appointments. Could call and make an uh, appointment.
2: Oh yeah, we prefer appointments. Uh and at this day and age, most barbers do because I mean you've seen it. On a Saturday, people will come in and we're four a four barber shop. No, yeah. Five. Yeah, you're right, five. Five barber shops. And on any given Saturday, we, we're we packed, and people just walk in there at 12, 1 o'clock in the daytime thinking that they're just going to sit right down. And it just don't happen that way.
0: Man, like, yeah. I remember those days of getting in the barber shop and having to sit there, like, all day waiting to get your hair cut. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, so, again, we're talking with uh, Big Cheese the Barber, a Freeman's Place barbershop. Um, you know, again, you can stop in and maybe get a car from him, but you might it'd be best for you to make an appointment versus just showing up because you know they might tell you it'd be a three hour wait. So, um, to get back to this conversation, like, what was the conversation if you can remember back, back way back when? What was the conversation like with wife when you go, Okay, I have this idea, like, I want to go and be a barber and oh, be a four time barber? I remember that,
2: like, to a T, bro. <laughs> like, I remember that to a T, man, because me me when it comes to certain stuff like drastic life changes i'm not that guy like if i find something i'm comfortable like i'm the guy that if i if i if i find a pair of shoes i like i'll keep buying that same pair of shoes multiple times you know what i mean in different color variations things of that nature so big life changes yeah at that point in my life it wasn't that wasn't the popular thing to do. But for me, it was something that I had always uh, aspired to do. And I knew that being, like, to me, one thing that I learned even when I got in school, like, people look at us as barbers as if we do this as a hustle. No, this is a career. Like Right. You know what I mean, and it's so so many avenues that are tied to our industry that people just really don't know, especially in a black barbershop. You know, like people just don't know um, the the many outlets and avenues that we have to be able to generate revenue and make this a a, a viable, profitable, very profitable career. And um, so for me, the conversation that that was had with my wife, I said, you know, I've been thinking about it. And she was like, you should just go up there and see, you know. And at the time, um, it was a school that was around the corner from my house uh, called Transform uh, Cosmetology and Barber School. Uh, Shout out to the Kindles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And So I was like, uh, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? And uh, to me, I knew the sacrifice that was going to entail. And so at the time, I just didn't see it happening. But she, like, it was really my wife. Like, she really pushed me. Like, all right. So finally, like, I, I I remember it was, it was November, probably about six years ago. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go get the application. Went up, got the application to the school. Kind of looked at, it, seen what how things work. Application set, set, set for a month. Then February rolled around. You know, a couple months passed, She like, are you going to do it or not? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do it, but I don't know. And she pushed me out again. She said, look, I got you. If this is what we going to do, this is what we going to do. Like, not just me, you know, we going to do this. So um, she pushed me out there. And so I got into it, man, and I loved it. Like, I was like, all right, this this is what's up, you know. And, uh. For me, I I kind of already knew how to cut hair, um, because like I said, when you ask me how long have I been barbering, and most barbers will give you that answer illegally or legally, you know, and so I've been cutting since I was like 19, 18, 19 you know, uh, just with cutting friends' hair and things of that nature when I was in college, and uh, so fast forwarding, it was like once I got in school, it was just like I, they were teaching me how to refine the craft that I had already been doing off and on. And so, it just, one thing led to another, and then, you know, two years two years went by, and I was done with school.
0: So, granted, granted you've had this experience beforehand of being a barber and cutting people's hair kind of as a side hustle and doing that on the side, but... Now that you let's we're in let's let's go to being in barber school, and you're going through that like the and you don't get a chance like even though you have this history you have this experience right you don't go in and just get to cut their hair right
2: no, Uh, (laughs) man when you're in barber school like the first thing is you you got to put in I can't remember exactly but I think you got to put in at least. Eight hundred hours before you even hit the floor. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it was I knew it was a lot. Like, I didn't know it was yeah we crazy like, like in that. order to get your license you have to do fifteen hundred hours. Wow. And um, man, like I'm talking about, and see, people don't know everything that goes into being in barber college, like, and that's why the people who have decided to take this profession seriously and not just some side hustle where we cutting on somebody's uh kitchen and Pookie and Ray Ray's house. Like, no, we take this seriously because we put in blood, sweat, and tears over this thing. And barber school takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot, man. Like, it ain't, like, man, like, we got books. We got to study. It ain't just about cutting hair. I'm talking about, we talking about the history of barbering. We talking about uh biology. We talking about we we studying electricity and, like, everything, man. Like, it, it just blows my mind the things that we had to learn in barber college just to be a barber. Wow, wow.
0: So let me ask you this. So, granted, even with this history, how nervous are you the first time they let you cut an actual person's hair in the barber school? Like, is there any – was there any – uh I don't want to say tension is not the word I'm looking for, but just was there any nerves when you getting ready to cut that first person? For
2: for me, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Now, I can be honest and say, and this this transitions into one of the questions that I knew you were going to ask me, as far as me being nervous on cutting the head, no, that wasn't the nervous part. But when it came to cutting one of my brothers of the other color, (laughs) dare I say. You know, my my (laughs) Anglo-Saxon brothers out there. You know what I mean? Now, man, like, because I went to a predominantly black, African-American, urban, all those words in between, (laughs) you know, those, you know, I I mean, it was predominantly African-American, and so... A lot of the clientele that we saw was that. So whenever we got any other.
0: Right. Like when Michael Phelps. Shout out to Michael Phelps who went to a black barbershop. We you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When
2: we got the Michael Phelps of the world yeah. come in, that, that, was, that was a different experience for a lot of us. And so for me, um, I was on. I was in barber school part-time. That's why it took me two years. If you go to barber school full-time on a full-time schedule, nine to five, it should, it should take you about 10 months. If you do it on a part-time basis, it should take you 18 months. But if you kind of, if that 18 months is kind of skewed, right, then it's going to take you every bit of two years. And for me, with having a family and life and work right. and all that. It took me every bit of two years. Um, but I really didn't have my first interaction, uh, with cutting white. You can say white people. people's hair.
0: Yeah,
2: I, 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 know, I, I just wanted to be politically correct nah, there for nah. a moment. I mean, you know, you, can, you know what I'm saying. You can say white people hair. Okay, like, cool, cool.
0: This is the black. It's a black okay, and white okay, thing. Cool, so you cool, can say it's white the people. Black
2: and white thing. So you know, <laughs> when it come to cutting the Donald Trump's up the world's hair, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Uh. That that like I was nervous, bro. I was really nervous. And, but it didn't happen for me in the school. It happened to me when I actually got out in the public. Right. Like when I got to the barbershop that I'm at. And uh we we cut a lot of fine hair. Right. Um pati- particularly of uh, the Arabic descent, you know. Right. Okay. Uh and with that, like man, their their hair is very similar to to a white person and the first I can I can remember like it was yesterday man I was coming in after I worked a, a 10 hour shift for the city I still had my city clothes on guy comes in hey, can you cut my hair I'm like okay you know and what I was taught while I was in barber colleges hair is hair you know and so in my head I'm trying to adopt that motto but here I am Man, I'm talking about I'm sweating bullets. Like, it took me every bit of, like, hour, over an hour, hour and 20 minutes to cut this guy's hair because I had no idea what I was doing. And I just I just fumbled my way through it, man. And I could tell he liked it, but it was, you could tell he was like, okay, it's cool, but right. this ain't what I'm used to. So, yeah. Right,
0: we're here with Big Cheese, the barber of Freeman's Place Barbershop, talking about his his career as a barber and the and the just the transition from making that jump. Um, so for those you talked about being in a black barbershop, right? For those who've never been there, explain the black. What is the black barbershop experience for compared, those who have never been there before?
2: Compared to what, though?
0: Uh, Compared to like supercuts.
2: All right. <laughs> All <laughs> I mean, right. Well, I mean,
0: and I. And no, I, no, I'm going to be real.
2: I I'm going to be real, bro. It is experience like night and day. Because this is the thing most people, when they come to a black barbershop, now we're just talking about the product of cutting a head. Right. Majority of people, the reason, and this is abroad, this is versus a white barbershop versus females when they go to the salon. A lot of people don't even understand why females come to a barbershop preferably before they go to their stylish or salon to finish up their hairstyle or uh line it up or you know uh undercut things of that nature and the reason why people come to black barbershops preferably is because they look for precision precision and for what from what I know growing up around black barbershops Majority black barbers have been taught to be very precise in their cuts, and that's why people look for the hard edges, the hard lines, the smooth transitions of a fade, things of that nature, and stuff like that became was easy for me because I was an art major in school, and so having an artistic eye for shades, highs, lows, things of that nature was easy to me, and so now we talk that now that's just on the product end. Uh, So when people come to a black barbershop, they're looking for that precision cut, whereas opposed to, and I'm not knocking these franchise places such as, uh, you know, supercuts or sport clips or whatever the case is, but those places aren't taught to do a precise cut, a fade and things of that nature. So if a guy comes in there and says, yeah, all they know is numbers, that's what they're taught, give me a two up top or one on the side. Well, a two up top and a one on the side to us looks totally different. You know, so like the last, you seen me today when you came in, the last guy I had in my chair, uh, he he was a black guy, and he said, hey, and I could tell he was used to that type of setting because he, he tells me, I want a one on the top, zero on the sides. To me, that's a skin fade.
0: Right, right. And
2: so right. I, I look at the guy and say, "Hey, so basically, you want a skin fade?" He looks at me and says, "What, what, what do what are you talking about with the skin fade?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so I had, to, I had to politely Google a skin fade for my brother and say, "Here you go. This is what you're looking for." See, but he, he, he's been to those type of environments where all they know are numbers, and when we talk about those numbers, that's just That's what you're going to get, a one up top, zero on the sides. But you have no blending in that, no fade, no transition, things of that nature. So on the product side, that's the biggest differences from a black barbershop versus everybody else. Um, And then when you talk about the experience of a black barbershop, we already know being that we grew up in black barbershops. One, I mean, number one, the barbers in the black community have – were pillars in the community. Right. And we were your counselor, your doctor, your lawyer, like all of that. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like because we was the one stop shop in the African American community. One for men to begin with, you know, um because as opposed to everybody don't drink, so everybody's not going to happy hour. You know what I'm saying? After they get off of work. But hey, I'm going to go down to the neighborhood barbershop. I'm going to play some dominoes just because, I, you know, I really ain't trying to deal with home right now or whatever. Let me just go down, talk to the people. And then in my unique situation, because I'm at a Christian barbershop, man, I love the fact that I get to pour life into people on a daily basis. And it's just not, when you come to Freeman's Place, it's not just a place of, you know, we talking about – Love and hip hop last night or nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? Like we genuinely are pouring into people, you know, and how to better their life or just getting them to the next day. You know what I mean? And so that's 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 really what I love about being a barber, just because I'm a people's person anyway, and I just have a heart to see people's lives change. And that was one of the other things that made me want to become a barber because. Initially, I wanted to be a school teacher, but because of my own decisions in life and things of that nature, that didn't happen because my thing was in my head, I always wanted to impact young black men uh, the way that I wish it could have. I could have been impacted. And so that was my avenue. I felt like teaching was my avenue to do that, to impart what I felt w- would be like a male role model to care about, young black males and so fast forward and now that didn't happen barbering was another way for me to do that without having to go through four years of <laughs> well, all of that yeah, you know what i mean four plus years cause it right degree, four plus years right yeah and so barbering was a way for me to do that so on a daily basis on a, on on a, especially in the summertime man we get kids in there man they come from broken homes and we know they come from broken homes because they run in the streets all day long like and all they want to do is come in the barbershop can i sweep up some hair for a few dollars or whatever they may just want to come and talk mess to us or whatever you know and you know we'll let them joke with us or whatever but at the end of the day we making sure your grade's cool how you doing um in some instances we've had to Call somebody's mama, like, hey, you know, so and so is down here, or this thing, you know, and and even to this day, like, uh, kids. Since I've been at that barbershop, it's kids that don't live in that area anymore, um, and they'll see me out at Walmart and they'll be like, hey, cheese, what's up, cheese? You know, whatever, whatever, and uh, you know, it's it's a good, it's a it's a rewarding feeling knowing that, you know, I put a seed of hope or or life into somebody that potentially could blossom and flourish into phew, amazing things, you know what I mean? That's what's up. That's what's up.
0: So, like, once again, we're here with uh, Cheese the Barber, Freeman's Place. So I've asked you the question of what is the black barbershop experience kind of in, all encompassed, but let's talk about the relationship. Now, granted, first of all, shout out to Bryce Johnson. Let me digress for a second who is a black basketball player for the L.A. Clippers, he goes to Supercuts. So shout out to him. He's cool. He lives that Supercuts life, um, you know, because, you know, we got love for Supercuts. Now, granted, you know, ain't nothing, no beef or nothing like that. But anyway, um, get back to the conversation. We talked about the black barbershop experience. What about the relationship between a – and we're going to speak specifically from, I mean, I don't want to say a black male, but – a black man and his barber, right? Like, what is that relationship, right? And this, this is why I say this, right? Because normally, let's just say I'm new to the city. Maybe I, I've met a couple of people, or I know some people, and I'm like, yo, I'm looking for a barber, and they and they throw your name out. What's the first thing a black man asks when they when the recommendation comes out and they say you should go to Big Cheese the barber? What's the first thing he's gonna say in
2: return? The <laughs> uh, who's.
0: Hair has he cut? Yep. What? Well, yep. That's the first yep. thing. Yep.
2: Yo, I was gonna say, can he really cut? Can he really cut? Yeah. Who's,
0: well, from a black perspective, if you're white and yep. listening to this, like, yep. like yep. I don't what know, is, maybe y'all use is, Yelp. What is line like? What is line like? Yep. Yeah. What is line yep. like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are the first two questions that get asked. Whose hair does he cut? Let Let me see. Let I mean, you can't go to Google Images. Let's go to Facebook. Let <laughs> yep. me go see this brother's line yep. after Chris cut. Like, we want to know these yep. things. Like. This is our version of Yelp, right? This is our version of, of, of a recommendation is seeing whose hair he's yep. cut before we make that decision. Yep. You can't just go with anybody. And once you make that connection, like what is that relationship like once you make that connection with your barber?
2: One, it's like once you once you I mean, and this is why loyalty in a barbershop is woo. It's every Woo, boy, let me tell you, I've seen <laughs> f- uh, fights break out because of <laughs> people's loyalty to a barber man or lack thereof. Like, man, look, let me tell you, that relationship with with your barber is sacred. Like, it's like a husband, it, wife. It, it, I'm it's, telling it's like, you, bro. Like and if you go to somebody else. Yeah, and you, especially yeah. If they gotta find out. Yeah, they gonna have like if Jerry Springer was still like the <laughs> thing they have you on that joint, like oh, y'all oh, you been cheating on me, yo, you know what I mean? Like, first of
0: all, that would be hilarious to have a Jerry Springer, right? So,
2: barbers, barbers or he's been seeing this <laughs> other clients.
0: you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I uh, James, I gotta tell you something, man. um uh, you've been wondering why my line been a little bit crispier man it's because you know I mean? off <laughs> <laughs> yeah man it's because i've been going to go see you know what i'm saying like ray ray man he's been tightening me up down at the spot let's bring out ray ray ray, ray come out there at the clip <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> yo that would be hilarious but nah but you're right like i said i wanted to ask that question for, for those who don't know like like you said, it is like a sacred experience. It's, right, it right. is a tight bond that is can be thicker than blood in some instances hey. because of that Hold relationship. Hold on.
2: Let, no, it is thicker than blood. And I see it on a weekly basis. I have a cousin that goes into our barbershop, and I never, never, not once have cut her hair, ever. And she probably won't ever let me cut her hair. Not to say that I can't cut. Because I'm just as good as her barber, if not better. And because I and that's no shot against him or nothing. Right. Because dude is really dope at what he does. But it just goes to show you how deep that loyalty is right. with a barber. And I mean, it, it's just like that, man. Because next look, next to people's home, their car. Their barber is up on it's that up level, that, that top tier. Yeah. Like you don't mess with my wife, my kids, my home, my car, or my barber. <laughs> like seriously, it's that deep. You know what I mean? And and I mean it's just like that. I mean, and it's it it, it even goes it, it even goes down to little kids. It's it's embedded in little kids the loyalty of their barber because they can react completely different from bar- from barber to barber right, right and we look me and you can speak on that because I've cut your son's hair before and he just I don't know what it is about me but he just don't do well with me right. you know what I mean but I think my uncle that cuts his hair I don't know it's something about that old school boy he put that that <laughs> Kung Fu Long. death grip on him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he be still, boy. Like, don't budge. Don't, you know, he have a couple times where he get rowdy, but like we've experienced it, like where he just was not having it for me at all, you know. Right, right. But it's it's just like that. You know what I mean? And so that 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 loyalty amongst barbers. And then going back to what I said before about that experience, we become people's confidant. We become their 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 I mean, their go-to, man. Like, we find out stuff sometimes that some people, you know, I can't divulge everything, you right, know. Right, but right, But we find out stuff that people's spouses right. should know before us, you know. But sometimes a brother's just trying to get a different outlook on some things and he need to hear from a different perspective from another married person or just another person, period. And so who they come to, they barber. That's what's up. That's what's up.
0: Coming down the home stretch with uh, Big Cheese, the barber, Freeman's Place, talking about his, his the, the things that made him jump or the decisions that made him jump from, make that jump from being just a part-time, you know, quote-unquote, maybe illegal legal barber uh, to getting legal out here in these streets. Uh, so final question, as or actually, you know, I got two more questions. We'll call it a day. Uh, what does success look like from you from a barber's perspective?
2: Uh, from a barber's perspective, all right. Well, I guess in your profession, I well, shouldn't say from a barber's
0: perspective. But what does success look like to you?
2: Well, this is the thing, man. Success in general for me, just just with the things I got going on in life, uh, in in correlation with barbering, uh, I think success looks different for everybody. You know what I mean? Um, because for me, success is. Knowing that I can set my family up to where, you know, of course, uh, I wanna I wanna put myself in a a good position to where I can leave my my uh, inheritance for my kids' kids. You know, that's that's what success looks like to me. Part of it, you know, because don't get me wrong, I'm not just out here grinding and working just for my grandkids to <laughs> live off my 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 goods. Heck, no. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to get out here. Me and wifey about to go out here and, you know, cruise cruise down, Uh, what's the highway called? Route 66. Route 66. You know what I mean? With the drop top, you know, red Corvette, whatever. You know, well, not no Corvette because I can't really fit in one of them joints. And hey, that drop top life is nice. But you, but you feel me? You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I want to be able to get to a point to where, like, my bills is taken care of, my kids is taken care of. And I can go do what I want, when I want, how I want. I mean, because now that it, to me is ultimate success, ultimate freedom. Like when you can, when you got financial freedom and time freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want, with no say so from anybody else. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of a level of success that that I like to to reach. You know what I'm saying? And right now, um, in my career, I'm in the beginning stages of doing that. You know, but I got a perfect blueprint set out before me uh, with the other bar with the other barbers that's in the shop, and um, because one of the guys that is in my barbershop is is and uh, was the owner of the school I went to, and he's on the back end of his career to where I see him making major moves to set himself up, his wife, his Kids, gr- grandkids, like, and he's selling, bro. Like, and I'm just like, yeah, that's 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 what I want. You know what I mean? To be able to come in and barber at the towards my towards the end of my career, uh, barber when I want to. You know what I'm saying? Where well, I don't necessarily have to be there a lot of hours. I can do strictly appointments. Like, no, I'm not coming in until Thursday or Friday, and Sunday through Wednesday I'm out here you know I hear you I hear you so last question with uh, Big Cheese
0: the barber Freeman's Place barber shop um, if you could if we're in sitting if we're having this conversation in an assembly of um, middle school and high school age kids mm-hmm. and you could give them one piece of advice as they continue to grow and mature and get ready to head out into the world what would that be
2: uh man, I, I I would definitely say that. Don't don't follow the path other people want you to to make them feel comfortable. That's the first thing. You know what I'm saying? Follow follow your follow your dreams and aspirations wherever that may lead you. And along the way, you may find some of those may change. You know what I mean? Like. They just made like I said, man, I wanted to be an art teacher at the beginning of this thing. You know what I mean? Um and that changed, you know what I mean? But in a way I still kind of am that, you right, know. Right. Uh and then you know one of the things, one of the things that I'm learning and that 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 just in me being an entrepreneur is that if the desire is big enough, the obstacle Gotta fall. You know what I mean? Like, so whatever you desire in life, if you if you put the action to the 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 boots to the pavement of getting that, obtaining that, uh wherever you wanna be in life, you'll get there. You I mean, you will, you know, but you gotta be honest with yourself too. You know what I mean? Because that's just like, man, one thing I hate, I see these guys that go in high school and they had these dreams of being a NFL star, or, or just make not even an NFL star, but making it to the NFL right. or NBA. But yet, I'm like, I look and I see it all the time like, you're not out here, you're not about that life. A person who's really trying to obtain that kind of level of success or that in that arena, like I'm talking about, they eat, sleep, breathe like they, I mean. They ain't going out to have, they not having a social life for real. Their social life is on the field. Their social life is on the court. If it ain't got to do with basketball or football or recruiting or watching videotapes, you know what I mean? It's It's a certain way that things look if you want that type of life and whatever that is. So for me, for that allotted amount of time, uh, that I wanted to be a barber. That's what life looked like for me. I'm talking about. I'm at school. I'm at work. I'm going through my my studies, my barber books. I got flashcards. I'm I'm practicing on how to do all kinds of things that I thought I would never do. You know, uh, from perm and hair to doing curl sets. To I mean, this is stuff we got to learn as barbers, like. Right. I never thought I would be doing women's hair or learning how to do a perm or color application, things of that nature. That all comes with just learning how to be a barber, cutting hair. You know, so digressing back to your question of just what what I tell those high school kids, man, is that if you want it, go get it. And don't be lazy about it. That's, what you know? That's don't what's don't be said. lazy about it. And ain't nothing given to you. You got to take it.
0: So to kind of, on your point about those guys, one of the things that inspired me um, and that I that I always, that I think about from time to time when I'm, when like I don't feel like doing something is uh, Michael Strahan talked about in his Hall of Fame speech about how, you know, and Andre Reid too, about how their fathers, uh, when they wanted, like they didn't have like a normal childhood. Like they, like you talked about when other kids were going to the pool and they were going outside to play, my father was like, we're about to hit these hills. Like, go run this hill. Go go hit the gym. And uh, I know Michael Strahan's experience, he was like – when he was like – when my father did all he could for me, he sent me – I think – I believe it was him. He said he went to his uncle. And his uncle, I think, had some football experience. And so he gave him additional teaching that his father couldn't. And so it was that continual dedication to the craft and to being – you know to to wanting to be the best and being great that led them i mean again to the right. pinnacle of their profession which is the hall of fame so you're absolutely right like you if you are going to be successful there are no shortcuts like you can't yeah. you can't shortcut your way to success, to success and it does require a level of dedication that not everyone is willing to give so yeah. uh big cheese the barber freeman's place i appreciate you coming through um, if once one more time get an address if people want to come through and maybe like I said see the shop. Maybe if you are you know um not used to the black barbershop experience you want to soak a little bit of, a little bit of that up while you get your hair cut, where can they come find you?
2: They can come find us at 546 East 99. Can't see the Missouri 64114, I think. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh yeah, five four six East 99. Kansas City, Missouri. Come holla at us. Freeman's Place Barbershop. That's what's up. So I appreciate you coming through. Shout out to
0: A War who's out on a date uh, with his girl tonight. Um, Shout out to Cannon the Great who was with us last week. Shout out as always to DJ uh, Trey or I just call him DJ Trey. Shout out to Trent of Clear Air Media. Um, Go ahead. I know you're going to get your plug in. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I can't forget, man. Y'all can check me out on Instagram, uh, Big Cheese underscore Living. Uh, Y'all can check me out there, man. not just cuts and things of that nature. I'm a sneaker enthusiast, uh, dabbling in that a little bit. Uh, and then you can also catch me on my Snapchat handle, uh, Big Cheese Living, underscore Living. And, you know, I don't really do Facebook, so.
0: Yeah, I didn't see that's why I asked for the credentials because I don't follow you on either of those. I didn't know if you were on what? social and you, media. And we've been all. friends
2: since fifth grade. It's
0: because I ain't got my Black Panther card. Uh, that's why I ain't he, following yeah,
1: you. Yeah, uh, but he was definitely talking about me uh, when you did those plugs, but you know, it's good to know. <laughs> that's all right. Technically, know. I, know. I was. They hear you every I week. Am. That's good. No, uh, I got two things. Uh, as always, uh, check out uh clearearmedia.com for all your AV needs uh and uh the latest podcasts and I have friends of the show um and uh but also before we get out of here I wish I had uh some boys to men queued up but it's so hard to say goodbye to Jamal Charles
0: yeah you know best move ever I don't want to say best move ever because but, of what he's meant to the team and But they needed to do that. I we mean, needed yeah, they to do that. Free that money up, man. To free that they money,
1: money cuz they gave EB that money and they trying to keep Poe and it was time.
0: Yeah, it was time. I, I it was time. So, I will miss Jamal Charles. We all knew it was coming especially once he was declared out for the season with the second uh knee knee surgery, but uh good luck to Jamal, man. We will see you one we will see you down the road when they put in, you in the in Chiefs Cleveland. Hall of Fame we'll see you in, in Cleveland. Canton. <laughs> in Canton. Oh, you think he's going to Cleveland Browns? Yeah, no, he'll be in good. the Browns. I mean, the Browns just pick up? Nah, nah, he's just speculating. I've heard Philadelphia because of the relationship with Doug Peterson, the former offensive coordinator with the Chiefs. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, we'll be following that as we Combines this week draft next month um, yeah. free agency throughout the summer. So, we'll definitely be following the moves of Jamal Charles, potentially Dontari Poe. And all that good stuff. But, um, again, shout out, again, to Clear Air Media, DJ Trey, Trent, for hosting us. Uh, Once again, you can follow us, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, search at Brains and Bars. Facebook. Go to iTunes.com or iTunes.com. Go to iTunes. Search for It's the Black and White Thing to find the show. Um, Subscribe there. Rate and review and share. SoundCloud.com to listen to. Go check out all the episodes. Search at Brains and Bars. Also, AmpedEntertainment.net, shout out to the homie Reese for hosting the podcast there as well. You can also find blogs by uh, Delo- by Los, who's been on the show, Marcus, who does music reviews for Amped Entertainment. Um, shout out to all those guys. Um, and until next time, man, we'll be back next week. A. Ward will be back in the building. We'll have another action-packed show. As always, shout out to yourself for listening. Hopefully something uh, you heard today was dope from Cheese um, on his on his travels or on the road that he took to becoming a barber. Um until next time for all those guys, A Ward, Big Cheese, Trey, uh we'll holler at y'all next time when it's a black and white thing, man. See ya.